Uh, John says, I saw in the right hand, uh, right hand is always a uh, inference to the power of God, the, the hand, the, the place where he is active, where he's making his will happen. And, and in that right hand of God, who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. I, a lot of people wrote a lot about what they think the book is. Uh, I, I just, you know... I wasn't able to find anything that wasn't sort of just an inference. In other words, I mean, maybe that's the case and maybe not when it isn't. So I really don't think that the, it's not that maybe someone somewhere does understand what the book is exactly, but I really think that given the difficulty of trying to figure out what the book is, the purpose of him bringing the book isn't, doesn't necessarily lie there. It lies probably in, at least in this part of the vision, what it is that's being said about it and what it is that is clear. Well, one of the things that is said about it is that it's written on the inside and on the back and it's sealed with seven seals. Uh, People have brought out that this does resemble what a Roman will or a legal document was, that oftentimes when someone would, let's say, on a will... Uh, they would write it out, and there would be, you had to have, in order for it to be validated, it needed to be seen that someone, seven different people saw you write it out, and then when you rolled up that scroll or sealed it up in the book, they would put their seal on it to seal it closed so that you could look at the seal and you could say, okay, well, this person is a witness and can validate that this happened. Whether it's a And then also on a lot of, so if you have a bunch of scrolls that are all sealed up, uh, it's also important that it was a very big habit on legal documents such as a will or other things to put a summary on the backside. So as you scrolled things around, the front side, the main portion would be hidden. You couldn't see what it was. But I mean, as you know, if you have a bunch of scrolls laying out and you just and they're all blank, they'd all look the same. It, there's an importance to be able to distinguish or somehow be able to show what this scroll is about, and, and so stuff would be written on the backside. So, you, but the point is, is whether it's mimicking a Roman document or not, it's saying that there's something written, there's something on the inside that's going to come out. But some of what is on the inside, you can deduce or you can gauge something by something that's visible. Does that make sense? So whatever it is that the scroll is about, it's not something that's completely hidden. There are some ways that you can kind of see, not necessarily the totality, but gauge what it's about. And then it says, uh, sealed up with these seven seals. The, what we know of the seven seals in this book that comes up in the next chapter is that as these seals are broken, what we see is judgment coming out upon the earth. Uh, different mechanisms that are in place in heaven to enact uh, judgment. Or what you would say is, 
the weight of injustice uh, in the world throughout history, and the, uh, it's, there's the indication that you get in the fifth seal of what that is, that there's voices of people who are crying out saying, how long is judgment going to be withheld from the injustices that I've suffered? And so what you get is this picture of God is not ignoring the injustice that's going on in the world. He's not ignoring all the things, but the wrath of that and the punishment and the judgment that that is due to us is being wrapped up and held back. But there's enough that can be seen for us to be able to tell that that's the truth. In other words, we're obviously not suffering the full fate of our, you know, mistakes, the things that we've done wrong, the ways that we've hurt people, the way we've distorted the truth, all of those things. We're obviously not suffering the full way, but enough is there for us to see that there's a big problem, (laughs) that there's judgment being held back. And so it's this picture of God's judgment being held up and stored up and there and he's waiting. And here it says what he's waiting for. It says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? You know, we know that there's a lot of things that are just completely messed up in the world. I mean, that's just, you know, we have enough to know that. And in us, we also know, and we keep searching for, some way for what's just to reign, or what's just to to be enforced, or for justice. And we keep looking for that. I mean, we look for that as we, you know, vote for a president, or we support a government. We look for that in what we call... You know, in San Francisco, they put up on the big thing, the Hall of Justice. (laughs) You know, we're looking for that. And what we're looking for when we're doing that is not just that we want it to happen, but we know that in order for it to happen, someone worthy needs to be pushing it forward. And the problem is addressed here when it says, and no one in heaven or on earth, no one that has existed or is existing on earth, from earth, is able to open the book or look into it. And then I began to weep, for no one was found worthy to open the book and look into it. We know enough that if we were to look at it throughout history, that every time we've tried to deduce, maybe this person is worthy to put justice, it always proves otherwise. And the weeping is there because here's the scenario that's being laid out. We need for justice to reign. And that demands that judgment go out. And we need someone to push that forward. But one of the problems is we have no one that is going to act justly. 
We have no one that isn't going to become corrupt by power. We have no one that is going to hold to that. We have lots of promises and lots of people talking in those terms. But when it comes down to it, what's proved to be the case over and over again is no one is worthy to be the standard bearer to push that forward. And the problem is that we know we need it, but if it was to come, we would all be completely wiped out by it. There's this withholding of of, of sort of the judgment or the weight of the evil that we cause... And if it was to go out, it would wipe everyone out. But it says, then I, one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne... With the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing, having been slain, with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It says one of the elders, um, it's a term that we have for presbytery or for... Uh, you know, elders in a church, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean uh, someone. It's an interesting thing. It, for us in this life, it doesn't mean that someone that's an elder needs to be someone like me in their 50s and 60s, and it's not someone in their 20s. And, and the reason for that is that the difference between someone in their 20s and someone in their 50s is of no significance compared to someone like what Jesus met with Moses and Elijah who have existed for thousands of years. <laughs> you see what he's saying there? That like, it is a reference to age, but it's not a reference to the minor differences that we have here on earth, and it's not a reference to people who are very skilled and have learned over the course of living 20 more years than someone else finances or live 20 more years how to raise kids. It's not elder, and what we're looking for is that. What it's saying is there, there, ha, there are people in heaven, and he's listing 24, that have been sitting there at the throne and have been waiting for this moment with Jesus much, much longer than any of us. And what an elder is, is someone who is firmly entrenched in waiting for the promise of Jesus. And that can happen at age 20, it can happen at age 50, but whether it happens here or there, it's dwarfed by those who are in heaven who have been waiting thousands of years for this moment. And what it's a picture of is it says, here's what it's going to take That Jesus is the one who's grabbing a hold of this book that in what we know of it so far is it's as it's opened up, judgment is poured out. And his the reason why he's worthy is because he 
lived a life here on earth where he never faltered, never failed. There's no indication in anything that we know of Jesus that he's not completely trustworthy to be the person pushing justice or saying where it is we need to go with that. But he now lists some things about Jesus. And again, these are things that when we, we've been looking through Revelation, things that sometimes get obscured when we're going through problems. The, the first thing that he says about Jesus, he says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. The first uh, reference, the Lion of Judah, is a pretty clear reference all the way back to Genesis, which is from the beginning of time, <laughs> prior to Israel uh, becoming a nation, um, back to Jacob and Esau. And one of the sons, Jacob, was blessed, and it was t- when he was told, everyone was told, that a Savior would come from among his lineage. So it's a promise of Jesus that was there, uh, a promise not because Judah was good or righteous, because if you read his story, that's obvious it wasn't. It was a promise given to someone who was in need of forgiveness that a Savior, a way for this whole thing that they saw even back then, a way for this to get worked out, for judgment to come, and yet for a path to be laid for us to find salvation in this. Even though if judgment were to break out, we would all be swept away, uh, uh, that a Savior would come and lay a path that would result in us being saved from it. And then he gives another reference, which is a reference in Isaiah. I think maybe Isaiah 11. But the significance there is what happened in between. And this is something that gets obscured a lot. Prior to there being a nation, Israel, prior to them becoming a country, prior to God giving them the perfect form of government, prior to God giving them the perfect kind of worship, the perfect influence of religion within the community, the perfect sense of the community, the perfect uh, icons, the perfect uh, holidays to celebrate, the perfect things to remember, uh, a law written with God's own hand, (laughs) the perfect justice system, (laughs) everything that you could hold to that, that might enable or help or restrain evil and, and, and let justice reign, all of that has already been tried out, and the result is in Isaiah where it's been a complete and utter failure. It resulted in nothing but more judgment being poured on us. What he's saying is, is that God gave us a historical instance to be able to see, well, I don't know, maybe this might help. No, it doesn't. It did nothing. The promise was there before, and the promise remained standing after, not altered or changed whatsoever in the slightest. The only thing through that whole process that that was made clear is what you might see on the written, on a scroll that's about judgment is, well, now we can tell a little bit why we're in such deep trouble. 
says, I saw between the throne. Well, actually, let me hit this one part, even though it's coming up here in a second. It says, I saw between the throne and with the four living creatures, the elders, a lamb standing, uh, having been slain. The, the lamb is a reference in between those two uh, prophecies that spoke of Jesus and the need for Jesus. In the in-between, nothing changed. But in the in-between, there was this moment of the Passover uh, of the lamb to be made clear that, that Israel had already become a huge nation in oppression. They were under uh, the worst kind of oppression where uh, their children were being slaughtered to try and suppress them, their growth into a nation. And that didn't suppress their growth into a nation. God made it happen anyways. The Egyptians did their best. The power- one of the most powerful nations in the world did their best to keep Israel from becoming a nation. And at their best, God did what God was going to do. And in that transition uh, uh, to freedom, as he was going to take them to the promised land, he kept working on the hearts of the Egyptians to change, to let their slaves go free. They just kept resisting. And then he didn't pour judgment out. They didn't get what it is that they deserved. That, that didn't happen. But they got a taste of what was in store for them. And that taste, God had said to the angel of death, you can go out and take the firstborn of everybody. And the promise that was given was that if anybody slaughtered a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts, that when the angel of death saw that, the command was given that the angel of death must pass by. And what is deserved to the people in that house, they will not get it at that point. It was a path of salvation. And that path of salvation is laid out in that first, it's a recognition, and what we talk about in coming to Jesus is repentance. And what that means, repentance, it, it is not that we understand all that we've done that's wrong. But we, just as I've been saying, we understand enough that when we look out, we're just saying, look, I'm just looking out at things, and here's my evaluation. We really need some help. <laughs> I mean, I just don't think we're, we need for justice to reign but there's no one here to appreciate it. If you believe that, then go down that road and find that person and follow them and, and see where it goes. But, but coming to Jesus is a recognition of, as far as I can tell, I just don't see much hope in that. <laughs> it, it's an understanding that here's the situation, that's what repentance is, that, that we can't get to where it is that we need. And that the path that's being laid out is a path of forgiveness. That God is offering us forgiveness. But in order to have forgiveness, God can forgive. And we keep thinking, well, there's a problem with that. I mean, 
the problem with us asking for forgiveness is that we ask for forgiveness and then we don't change. <laughs> you know, that's why G- the disciples asked Jesus, well, how many times do we need to forgive someone? And Jesus says, you just keep on forgiving. How is that, that we can just keep on forgiving? (laughs) Or why is it that that's the path to just keep on forgiving? Is it because uh, that's what a righteous person, that's not what a righteous person would do. The only reason why that's a path is because Jesus is saying, I'm going to take care of it. What needs to be fixed you are not capable of fixing. And every attempt that you make to try and fix it only makes it even worse. And we know enough to see that. Oftentimes when we really hurt someone badly and we go in and we try and fix it, I mean, if you're anything like me, I mean, sometimes I found like the best thing for me is to just be quiet and just stand there and just see if the forgiveness will come. Because if I say anything... (laughs) It just makes it 10 times worse. He's saying the promise is that forgiveness is possible and we can just hold to forgiveness. And the reason why is because we need part of him saving us is him making things right. When it says, uh, having been slain, but standing, what he's saying is that all that we've done wrong, even to him, the world at its worst, us at its worst, we, we're just constantly trying to kill off this offer and kill off Jesus, but this offer, this promise, Jesus remains standing. It's a reference to his crucifixion and to the resurrection. And what that hope is in the resurrection, it is not a hope that it's going to get fixed by us all of a sudden just, you know, doing the right thing. It's not even a hope that these bodies that we have are somehow going to just all of a sudden start doing the right thing. It's a hope that there's a soul, there's a part of us in the midst of this conflict with this body and this other part of us that's pulling us away, that there's at least some speck that realizes the truth of the situation, repentance, and knows that we need a Savior that's going to come down from heaven that isn't, that's going to be apart from us, and, and that somehow this Savior is going to fix things so that for our part, all it is is asking for and receiving forgiveness. He says, the seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. It's a little unclear as to the seven spirits of God are referenced to both the horns and the eyes, or just the eyes, but it looks like seven horns, seven eyes combine the seven spirits. There's um, in Isaiah 11... It lists the Spirit of the Lord as one quality and then three sets of pairs of qualities of the Spirit, which would make seven. Is this a reference to that? I don't know. And there when it's laid out like that, the Spirit of the Lord, 
over people see that it's a reference to and as far as I could tell everyone sees it in some sort of way this is a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit going out uh, and the, the qualities of the Holy Spirit but the two things that are highlighted here by the horns everyone agrees it's a reference to the power of God the omnipotence the, the power that God has to make whatever he desires to happen happen and the eyes are a reference to the omniscience of God that God has the ability to be able to see into our hearts and to be able to go out through and, and so what it's saying is that now Jesus because he never faltered he is given the reign the ability to op- start to open up and release this judgment and this justice, but he's doing it in a way according to the plan that God has laid out from the beginning, a plan that has always proved to be our only option. And that plan is that, that in the midst of judgment, we can find salvation through repentance, through forgiveness, through grabbing a hold of the promise that Jesus will make things right. And now Jesus has been given, and this is important to understand, when Jesus was in heaven, he laid down everything in terms of God to become one of us and lived a life as a human being. And what he had at his disposal was was not just to his disposal. He raised people from the dead. There's other stories in the Bible of people raising people. All of the things you can see. He, he laid down and only accessed the power that's available to us from God to us as humans. But now it's saying that the resurrection in heaven, he's now been found worthy as a human being to take back on all that power and that knowing. And what he's doing is he's going throughout the world, exercising that, building his kingdom based on unlimited power and nothing being hidden from him. And so what is it that that looks like when that's been happening? It says when he had taken the book, the four living creatures the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, people from every tribe and tongue and people, and every nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. The song that was being sung prior to this was in verse 11 of chapter 4. He says, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because... Of your will, they existed and were created. It's about the awesome 
creating power and will of God to create us. And now that song that's focused on the power of God is now focused on Jesus in this way. Worthy are you. This is the new song that's being sung because of the power that's given to Jesus, because of the will of God to, it says there was the first Adam, Jesus was the second, in a sense, recreate under these conditions. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God that they will reign upon the earth. What reigns upon the earth is not the power to enforce, you know, regulations on trade, uh, you know, who's going to be able to kill who, who, who has a higher military or all, all those, or who's going to, you know, enforce this border or that border. In, in light of the fact that we're all dying and going to die, what is that enforcing? <laughs> Nothing. It's not raining. It's the dead raining over the dead. It's like defeat raining, raining over defeat. It doesn't, it's not raining. <laughs> What's raining is, is there any hope for us being saved? And that hope reigns now. And all the power of God and the knowing, Jesus is sending it out. The Holy Spirit is being sent out to seek out what Jesus says, not a single sheep have I lost. He knows our hearts and minds. And he is actively going out and gathering and pulling together not a kingdom of, you know, guns and tanks and laws and this, but priests. And what does a, a priest do? It's one that bridges or, or points to, the priest doesn't bridge, the priest points to what does bridge the gap between us and God. And how that relates Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how that relates to what bridges the gap between us too. And what bridges that gap is this message, this need for a Savior, a recognition of that. A willingness of God to come down and be that Savior. And a willingness of that Savior to do whatever it takes to the point of giving his own life to make things right before God. And what that is proof of is that if he can make things right between us and God, he's more than capable of making it right between us and anyone else. And the power of God is going out at this time when we should have enough knowledge, enough to look at to see that we need some saving. And that we're not saving ourselves. But it's a hope and a prayer in what has been the Word of God and will continue to be the Word of God in that promise of Jesus that is already opening up and there's power and knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And the reason why 
that kind of omnipotence is needed to be able to find out where we're at on stuff, whether we've made this decision or not, is because for the most part, if you were to look at all of our lives, you wouldn't be able to tell who's made a decision and who hasn't. <laughs> you just wouldn't. I mean, if the thing is, is, are we causing less harm than other people? No, <laughs> you know. You need someone with the power to go in and see, no, this is what Jesus is saying. I have found that there is a small part of this person that sees that this is true. Not the whole thing, that'll all pass away, but there's some small part in the soul of this person where they've now identified their soul and said, this is who I am. I'm that small part of me that sees that this is our situation. That small part of me that sees that there's this offer of hope. And insofar as I can, I'm grabbing a hold of that through repentance, asking for giving forgiveness, and trusting, waiting for, with all the other saints who've been waiting for thousands of years, waiting for Jesus to work this out. And what is it that we're waiting for? If you look in the next chapter when this comes up about the saints, I'll just read the whole thing because we may not go through this chapter. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of all those who had been slain because of the Word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. A testimony of what? The Word of God what? Of this promise that he has already defined of Jesus. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging? They're talking about this situation of God's obviously refraining. We, sh- we have enough to be able to see. If there's a God that exists that's just and holy, then he's obviously refraining from justice, regardless of what's happening here on earth. If there's anyone here to even think, he's refraining. <laughs> How long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would also be completed. He's saying, I understand the pain. I understand the situation. I went through that myself to the point of death. But there's something very important going on. There's something worth waiting for. He doesn't talk about what's worth waiting for as us working to do this and do that. He says, just sit there and rest. (laughs) But wait. And there's something worth waiting for rather than just jumping to thinking that, you know, we are the righteous and we're just praying that God's judgment comes. That's not, if that was to come and there was no hope in Jesus or forgiveness, everyone, there would be no remnant. What's worth waiting for? What's worth bearing with the weight of the pain that this world inflicts on all of us? 
that us as the world we inflict on each other, what's worth bearing through that for is only worth it if Jesus is still waiting for us to make a decision. That there's some that have made a decision and some that haven't. And all of the judgment of God, everything that Jesus is doing, all the power of God, all the knowing is looking, waiting for us to decide. That's a... a, that's a pretty incredible thing when you think about it. (laughs) That everything in all of time, all the power, all knowing, justice, everything is hinging, waiting for us to decide, I don't know, Maybe I need a savior. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I haven't really figured this. You know, just sitting there waiting. <laughs> Immense amount of harm is coming to people in the process. Waiting for us to make a decision on something that it's pretty, it should be pretty clear. I mean, there, there's not many things in the world that should be more clear than we're really are not facing the results of all the pain. We're not facing the judgment. There's an immense amount of judgment uh, that's, that's due to us that we need the help of the Savior. We need someone other than self. We need for God to step down and become one of us. We need to follow someone who everything we know of them is just. We need a Savior that's willing to not just sacrifice some cash for something, but to give his own life for this. And more than anything, we need someone that with those qualities is going to go out and has the power to make things right. And everything is waiting for the conclusion so that everybody Whoever will exist is given a chance. A chance to take this path of salvation that is different than what we had at the beginning. It's different in that it's not based on us making it happen. It's based on forgiveness and our faith in Jesus and our faith in the promise of Jesus and the path of salvation that he's laid out. Let's pray. Uh, As we pray, if there's anyone here uh, that would like to accept Jesus as their Savior, and if there's anyone at home that's watching this that, that would also like to accept Jesus as your Savior, if you're at that point where you believe that we need that and that hope is available in Jesus and you would like to join into that. I'll pray with you right now. Lord, we ask for your salvation from from all that harms us. And we wait through all that. 
And Lord, for those of us that are at that point where we wish to make this decision and say, I repent for my contribution, I repent for my sin, and I'm asking for forgiveness. And Jesus, I just ask that you would make things right. And on that basis of faith, if you're willing to take me into your family, I want that. For those of us that have already made that decision, I pray that we'd be faithful witnesses to that. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be given to all those who proclaim in your name and can testify to the decision that's been made. I pray that you would give the power, the knowing of the Holy Spirit, the peace of being with us always. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.